Chapter 12 of The Story of My Life and Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy. The Story of My Life and Work by Booker T. Washington. Chapter 12 Honored by Harvard University. One of the most helpful things accomplished during the year 1896 was an exhibit of the industrial products of the Tuskegee Institute made in New York City, Boston, and Philadelphia in connection with a similar exhibit from the Hampton Institute. The Armstrong Association in New York City was instrumental in bringing about this exhibit. A large number of people who had no idea of the extent of our industrial work had an opportunity at these exhibits to see for themselves just what was being done by Hampton and Tuskegee. Our industrial exhibit included wagons, carriages, and wearing apparel of all kinds, manufactured by the students. The exhibit, however, was not confined to industrial products. A thorough exhibit of academic work was also made. Some people have an idea that because industrial education is emphasized at Tuskegee and Hampton, very little attention is given to academic training. This is an error. A close examination will prove that both at Hampton and Tuskegee, the academic training is very thorough and far-reaching. In fact, if we had only called this institution university or college, and had given the same course of training that we now give, we would have met with no criticism on account of not giving more academic training. We are thoroughly imbued with the idea that a little training thoroughly given goes farther than to attempt to cover a great deal of ground poorly. Education, after all, is only valuable in given mental grasp and culture. Six months before he died and nearly a year after he had been stricken with paralysis, General Armstrong visited Tuskegee. On his arrival, which was about nine o'clock in the evening, he was given a unique reception by the students. According to a prearranged plan, the moment that his carriage entered the school grounds, he began passing between two lines of lighted and waving fat pine wood knots held by over a thousand students and teachers. The general was completely overcome with happiness. He remained a guest in my home for nearly two months, and although almost wholly without the use of voice or limb, he spent nearly every hour in devising ways to help the South. Time and time again he said to me during this visit, that it was not only the duty of the country to assist in elevating the Negro of the South, but the poor white man as well. I resolved anew to devote myself more earnestly to the cause which was so dear to him. Several times I have been asked what was the most surprising incident in my life. I have no hesitation in saying that it was the following letter from Harvard University asking me to be present at the commencement at Harvard in June 1896 for the purpose of having an honorary degree conferred upon me. Harvard University, Cambridge, 
May 28, 1896. My dear sir, Harvard University desires to confer on you at the approaching commencement an honorary degree, but it is our custom to confer degrees only on gentlemen who are present. Our commencement occurs this year on June 24th, and your presence would be desirable from about noon till about five o'clock in the afternoon. Would it be possible for you to be in Cambridge on that day? Believe me, with great regard, very truly yours, Charles W. Eliot, President, Booker T. Washington. Up to the time of receiving this letter, I had not the faintest idea that any college, much less the oldest and highest educational institution in the country, was about to or would ever confer upon me any honorary degree. It took me, of course, greatly by surprise. Commencement day at Harvard, June 24, 1896, was a memorable one, certainly one that I shall never forget. At the appointed hour, I met President Elliot and the overseers of the college at the designated place on the grounds for the purpose of being escorted in company with others to Sanders Theater, where the commencement exercises were to take place and the degrees to be conferred. In addition to the degree to be conferred on me, among others, Major General Nelson A. Miles, the commander of the United States Army, Dr. Bell, the inventor of the Bell telephone system, Dr. M.J. Savage of Boston, and others were invited to be present at commencement for the purpose of receiving degrees. We were assigned places in the line of march immediately behind the president and overseers. As soon as we were placed in line, the governor of Massachusetts, escorted by the Lancers, arrived and was assigned to the head of the line of march by the side of President Elliot. In this order, accompanied by the various officers clad in caps and gowns, we marched to Sanders Theater. After the usual commencement exercises, the time for the conferring of honorary degrees came. This at Harvard is always the most interesting and exciting feature of commencement, owing largely to the fact that no one knows until commencement day on whom honorary degrees are to be conferred, and as each name is called for an honorary degree, the expectation rises to the highest pitch, and the individuals receive cheers and applause in proportion as they are popular at the college. When it came my turn, I arose, and President Elliot conferred upon me the degree of Master of Arts in appropriate language. The whole ceremony for the first time at Harvard was performed in English. At the close of the commencement exercise, I was invited with General Miles and others receiving honorary degrees to lunch with President Elliot. After the lunch at the residence of the President, we were formed into line again and were escorted under the guidance of the Marshal of the Day, who in this case happened to be Bishop Lawrence of Massachusetts, through the grounds in which at different points we were met and cheered by the students, each individual who had received an honorary degree receiving the Harvard yell. The most interesting feature of that day was the alumni dinner which occurred at the close of our march through the grounds. This dinner was served in Memorial Hall, and I think was attended by at least a thousand graduates of Harvard, 
from all sections of the country, many of them eminent in affairs of state, religion, and the field of letters. Among the speakers at the alumni dinner were Governor Roger A. Wolcott, Senator Henry Cabot Lodge, General Nelson A. Miles, Dr. Savage, and others. When I was called upon to speak at the alumni dinner, I delivered the following address. Mr. President and Gentlemen, it would in some measure relieve my embarrassment if I could, even in a slight degree, feel myself worthy of the great honor which you do me today. Why you have called me from the black belt of the South, from among my humble people, to share in the honors of this occasion, is not for me to explain, and yet it may not be inappropriate for me to suggest that it seems to me that one of the most vital questions that touch our American life is how to bring the strong, wealthy, and learned into helpful touch with the poorest, most ignorant, and humblest, and at the same time make the one appreciate the vitalizing, strengthening influence of the other. How shall we make the mansions on your Beacon Street feel and see the need of the spirits in the lowliest cabin in Alabama cotton fields or Louisiana sugar bottoms? This problem Harvard University is solving, not by bringing itself down, but by bringing the masses up. If through me, an humble representative, seven millions of my people in the South might be permitted to send a message to Harvard, Harvard that offered up on debt's altar young Shaw and Russell and Lowell and scores of others that we might have a free and united country, that message would be, tell them that the sacrifice was not in vain. Tell them that by habits of thrift and economy, by way of the industrial school and college, we are coming. We are crawling up, working up, yea, bursting up. Often through oppression, unjust discrimination, and prejudice, but through them all we are coming up. And with proper habits, intelligence, and property, there is no power on earth that can permanently stay our progress. If my life in the past has meant anything in the lifting up of my people and the bringing about of better relations between your race and mine, I assure you from this day it will mean doubly more. In the economy of God there is but one standard by which an individual can succeed. There is but one for a race. This country demands that every race shall measure itself by the American standard. By it a race must rise or fall, succeed or fail, and in the last analysis mere sentiment counts for little. During the next half-century and more, my race must continue passing through the severe American crucible. We are to be tested in our patience, our forbearance, our perseverance, our power to endure wrong, to withstand temptations, to economize, to acquire and use skill in our ability to compete, to succeed in commerce, to disregard the superficial for the real, the appearance for the substance, to be great and yet small, learned and yet simple, high and yet the servant of all. This, this is the passport to all that is best in the life of our republic, 
and the negro must possess it or be debarred while we are thus being tested i beg of you to remember that wherever our life touches yours we help or hinder wherever your life touches ours you make us stronger or weaker no member of your race in any part of our country can harm the meanest member of mine without the proudest and bluest blood in massachusetts being degraded when mississippi commits crime new england commits crime and in so much lowers the standard of your civilization there is no escape man drags man down or man lifts man up in working out our destiny while the main burden and center of activity must be with us we shall need in a large measure in the years that are to come as we have in the past the help the encouragement the guidance that the strong can give the weak thus helped we of both races in the south soon shall throw off the shackles of racial and sectional prejudice and rise as harvard university has risen and as we all should rise above the clouds of ignorance narrowness and selfishness into that atmosphere that pure sunshine where it will be our highest ambition to serve man our brother regardless of race or previous condition as this was the first time that an honorary degree had ever been conferred upon a negro by any university in new england of course it occasioned a great deal of newspaper comment throughout the country i think i shall not speak further of the occurrence but will insert a few newspaper clippings that will tell the story perhaps better than i feel like doing it mr thos j calloway who was present on this occasion wrote as follows to the colored american first in the history of america a leading american university confers an honorary degree upon a colored man harvard has been always to the front in line of liberty freedom and equality when other colleges of the north are accepting the negro as a tolerance harvard has been awarding him honors as in the case of clement g morgan of recent date her present action therefore in placing an honorary crown upon the worthy head of mr washington is but a step further in her magnanimity in recognizing merit under whatever color of skin the mere announcement of this event is a great testimony to the standing of mr washington but to any black person who as i did saw and heard the enthusiasm and applause with which the audience cheered the announcement by president elliot the degree itself was insignificant the boston lancers had conducted governor walcott to cambridge and five hundred harvard graduates had double filled the march to sanders theatre it was a great day latin orations disquisitions dissertations and essays in english were delivered by selected graduates clad in stately and classic cap and gown bishops generals commodores statesmen authors poets explorers millionaires and noted men of every calling sat as earnest listeners president elliot had issued five hundred diplomas by handing them to representatives of the graduates in bundles of twenty to twenty-five then came the awarding of honorary degrees thirteen were issued bishop vincent 
and general nelson a miles commander of the united states army being among the recipients when the name of booker t washington was called and he arose to acknowledge and accept there was such an outburst of applause as greeted no other name except that of the popular soldier patriot general miles the applause was not studied and stiff sympathetic and condoling it was enthusiasm and admiration every part of the audience from pit to gallery joined in and a glow covered the cheeks of those around me proving their sincere appreciation of the rising struggle of an ex-slave and the work he has accomplished for his race but the event of the day was the alumni dinner when speeches formed the most enjoyable bill of fare two hundred harvard alumni and their invited guests partook of this annual dinner four or five speeches were made among them one from mr washington at the close of the speaking notwithstanding the fact that senator henry cabot lodge dr minno j savage and others had spoken president elliot warmly grasped mr washington by the hand and told him that his was the best speech of the day speaking of the conferring of the degree and the toast the paper were unusual in favorable comment says the boston post in conferring the honorary degree of master of arts upon the principal of tuskegee institute harvard university has honored itself as well as the object of this distinction the work which professor booker t washington has accomplished for education good citizenship and popular enlightenment in his chosen field of labor in the south entitles him to rank with other national benefactors the university which can claim him on its list of sons whether in regular course or honoris causa may be proud it has been mentioned that mr washington is the first of his race to receive an honorary degree from a new england university this in itself is a distinction but the degree was not conferred because mr washington is a colored man or because he was born in slavery but because he has shown by his work for the elevation of the people of the black belt of the south a genius and a broad humanity which count for greatness in any man whether his skin be white or black the boston globe said it is harvard which first among new england colleges confers an honorary degree upon a black man no one who has followed the history of tuskegee and its work can fail to admire the courage persistence and splendid common sense of booker t washington well may harvard honor the ex-slave the value of whose services alike to his race and country only the future can estimate the correspondent of the new york times wrote all the speeches were enthusiastically received but the colored man carried off the oratorio honors and the applause which broke out when he had finished was vociferous and long continued in july of the same year i delivered one of the addresses before the national christian endeavor convention which met in washington this meeting of the christian endeavor society was attended by thousands of people from all sections of the country and some from foreign countries i remember that in order to be present in time to speak at this meeting i had to make a long and tiresome trip 
from Spirit Lake, Iowa, to Washington, and reached Washington rather late in the evening. In fact, when I got to the church where I was to speak, I found President F. E. Clark and the audience rather nervous about my appearance. I found it a difficult matter to get into the room, owing to the fact that every seat was taken, the aisles full and people on the outside of the church clamoring for entrance. My address was finished about ten o'clock that evening. At eleven o'clock I took a train to Buffalo, New York, where I was to speak the next night before the National Educational Association, where twenty thousand teachers were present. As I now recall the incident, I think those two meetings caused me perhaps as great mental strain and anxiety as I have ever experienced. I had to prepare special and set addresses for each meeting and coming as they did so near together, anyone who has had experience in public speaking can easily imagine the difficulty with which I had to contend. I will give one or two short newspaper extracts that may convey an idea of the effect of these two addresses. The Buffalo Express gave expression in part as follows. It was a great close. It began with music and it ended with music. Not a false note was struck. Every tone rang true, and when the gavel rose for the final fall, the audience rose with it, and with one mighty voice sang, America. All credit is due to Booker T. Washington for the keen up of the spirit that dominated the vast audience. His address was magnificent. There was nothing of speculation, nothing of theory, nothing of supposition in his speech. It was a truthful, convincing statement of the condition of the Negro and the remedy for his wrongs. It teemed with humor and was arrayed in a splendid cloak of eloquence. The audience was larger than at any of the other sessions. An overflow meeting was held in Concert Hall at which the addresses of the closing sessions were repeated. The overflow meeting overflowed and over 2,000 people were turned away. A thousand lingered outside until the convention ended. On July 12th, the Buffalo Courier contained the following. Booker T. Washington, the foremost educator among the colored people of the world, was a very busy man from the time he arrived in the city the other night from the West and registered at the Iroquois. He had hardly removed the stains of travel when it was time to partake of supper. Then he held a public levee in the parlors of the Iroquois until eight o'clock. During that time he was greeted by over two hundred eminent teachers and educators from all part of the United States. Shortly after eight o'clock he was driven in a carriage to a music hall, and in one hour and a half he made two ringing addresses to as many as five thousand people on Negro education. Then Mr. Washington was taken in charge by a delegation of colored citizens, headed by the Reverend Mr. Watkins, and hustled off to a small informal reception, arranged in honor of the visitor by the people of his race. Both in Washington at the Christian Endeavor meeting and in Buffalo at the National Educational Association meeting, I was surprised as well as gratified at the large number of Southern gentlemen and ladies belonging to the white race who pressed forward to shake my hand at the close of these addresses. I have rarely spoken anywhere in the North that a number of Southern white people did not come forward and most earnestly thank me 
for my position and words. A Southern man writing to the Charleston News and Courier concerning my address at Buffalo expressed himself as follows. Notwithstanding the fact that the gentlemen speaking were of great ability, the audience showed signs of impatience. They wanted Mr. Washington, and no one else would do. At last he came. He is quite looking, a little nervous, but determined. His face indicates that he has, above all qualities, patience and self-control. His address to the second audience was very much the same as that delivered before the first. He was a little freer, told several amusing stories, and from the start carried the crowd as no one else had done during this meeting. It has been my privilege to be invited to address the national gathering of both the Christian Endeavor Society and the National Educational Association at almost every session that these organizations have held, and I have been very glad to accept the invitation as often as I could find time to do so. The following September, I delivered the opening address before the Brooklyn Institute of Arts and Sciences in Brooklyn, New York, and in October of the same year while in Durham, North Carolina, for the purpose of speaking at the Agricultural and Mechanical Fair held at that place by the colored people, I was invited by the President of Trinity College, located in Durham, to deliver an address before the students of that college. This was the first time that I had ever received an invitation to address a white college in the South. I accepted the invitation and was treated with every possible courtesy both by the officers and students of the college. After my address, as I was preparing to leave the grounds in the company of a number of colored friends who had been kind enough to call with me, the students assembled in the front yard and gave me their usual college yell in a hearty manner. End of chapter 12